If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Peter Huntington who's brought to us by Kentucky Equine Research and he's going to talk to us about the 10 tips on feeding the laminitis prone horse or pony. Now, Peter's brought to us quite a few tips in different areas of equine nutrition. Just to go on horsechats.com, search for Peter Huntington, and you'll find his contact details, but you'll also find all the other areas of equine nutrition that he's brought to us in previous episodes. How are you today, Peter? Excellent. Thanks, Bruce. Yep. Now, Peter, these 10 tips on feeding the laminitis-prone horse or pony. Talk to us about laminitis, because the first one, the causes of laminitis. And I know there's more causes than just feeding the horse too much, but can you talk to us a bit more and expand on ideas that would cause laminitis? Yes, Gwyneth, there's a a number of causes of laminitis, and that's why uh, if your horse or pony has laminitis, it's important to get veterinary advice so you can identify um, what the likely cause is and therefore uh, what the preventative strategies have going forward. You know, there are things like... um, you know, what's called road founder in exercising horses, which is um, just concussion-related, really, non-weight-bearing lameness, a fracture in one leg um, or uh, severe pain in one leg uh, where, the, where, you know, the horse is three-legged lame, they could often get laminitis in the other leg. Uh, there's uh, retained afterbirth in, uh, in mares, um, you know, some uh, disturbances of, in, of, of the large intestine. Mm-hmm. that lead to acute diarrhoea can also cause uh, laminitis. So uh, colitis is linked with laminitis. Um, there are some drugs that can, can bring it on. Uh, but the sort of more common ones are, uh, are related to uh, feeding and related to body condition and they're you know, gorging on starch-rich grains, um, lush pasture, and a couple of hormonal ones that um, and obesity, and and that leads into a, one of the hormonal conditions or the metabolic causes of laminitis, which is equine metabolic syndrome. That's a term that's only been used for the last few years. And the other one is um, is PPID, which people commonly call Cushing's disease. It's a disturbance of the pituitary gland, and again, that overlaps with uh, metabolic syndrome in in some instances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So quite a lot of causes and important to identify the specific uh, cause because the preventative strategies are going to, going to vary. Now, if we're talking about causes, what about the symptoms and diagnosis of laminitis? Well, laminitis is the, is the very sore-footed horse, um, often all four feet, usually, um, but you know, sometimes just in front and Often front feet are worse than hind feet, and it's the horse that's sort of reluctant to move. The, the sort of sore horse stance often, if their front feet are worse, they'll have their front feet out in front of them, trying to keep more weight on the back feet. And you know, you try and pick one foot up and 
that's very difficult because they don't want to lift the foot off the ground, puts more weight on the other leg. So the horse reluctant to move, uh, pain around the coronary band, uh, if you palpate uh, around the coronary band, there's pain there, and what's called a bounding digital pulse, where if you put your sort of where the uh, arteries and veins run around the fetlock, uh, which is at, um, what, what I'm trying to see, you know, two o'clock, I suppose you'd put yep. it. Yeah, yep. two o'clock on the, yep, yep. Um, then you get this sort of bounding pulse. And it's actually, that suggested that there's um, excessive blood flow, that there's actually uh, uh, disturbances in the blood flow to the laminae that are the um, are the issue. So uh, the laminae are not getting the appropriate um, appropriate blood flow, but you've got this bounding digital pulse as one of the signs. Mm-hmm. Diagnostically, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, you can make clinical diagnoses, sometimes x-rays are involved, and that can, because uh, there's uh, often a degree of rotation of the pedal of the pedal bone, um, because the laminae, the bond between the sensitive and the insensitive laminae in the hoof is disturbed, uh, the deep flexor tendon still exerts its pull on the back of the pedal bone, and you get a rotation where the tip sort of heads down towards the sole, sometimes in going through the sole, that's in a severe case. And in other severe cases, they, they have what's called sinking, where the um, whole structure of the hoof, uh, that bond means that the, the weight of the horse sort of pushes the uh, pushes the bones down through the hoof, and that can be a very severe form of laminitis when they're sinking. Okay, okay. Peter, I probably should have asked this when we first started, but laminitis is often called founder. Is there a reason for that? Oh, it's just well, founder was the old terminology, and laminitis is the is the okay, um, so, you know, the scientific terminology. Sure, but, uh, I think people would uh, people would, um, and I don't know why it was called founder, mm-hmm. um, but um, I've got some old veterinary books. Maybe I should look them up. So you know, sometimes there are X rays X rays involved in diagnosis, but you know, mostly it's a clinical clinical diagnosis. Now, we've talked about the one causes and two, the symptoms and diagnosis. Number three, the management during the acute stages. What can you say about that or what tips have you got for everyone? Well, I think it's a, this is a very, this is a painful condition uh, that can, you know, lead to death of horses. So it's a veterinary emergency. Um, and, uh, yeah, so people, people need to, uh, uh, you know, Get uh, get their vet involved in in the management of the case. Um, removing the predisposing factors is is one of the considerations. So, if the predisposing factor was a sort of overdose of a starch-rich meal, then you're going to remove that. If it's lush pasture, you're going to remove that. Um, if if you know there are other considerations, then you you'll address those. And generally, uh, having the horse in a confined area. You don't want them, certainly in the early stages, you don't want them exercising. Um, so you'd uh, have them in an area where they're comfortable, be it a stable or a yard. Sand yards can be quite good. Um, the other scenario at this time is that it's not necessary that even though you may be, shall we say, starving the horse later on to reduce body weight, now's not the time that you have to starve the horse. So, for example, it's okay to feed loose and hay in the acute stages, and uh, often people think the only management of laminitis is you feed a, a poor quality grass hay, but that horse would be both energy deficient and also protein deficient. And at times like this, they've got a higher metabolic rate and a higher requirement for certain 
for nutrients and you're wanting to stabilise the, the hoof and then start the repair process. So um, your, your feeding management in the initial stage is going to be different to what it is later on. And so anything else for the acute stage or should we go on to the long-term nutritional management for these horses? Oh, well, I think the, I think the acute stage is... It, 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 it will depend on the circumstances, and very often it's uh, you know look at what you've got in terms of uh, in terms of the diagnosis and course. So it's going to vary. It's going to vary a little bit, um, but it's not necessary to starve the horse initially. Mm-hmm. You probably um, because they have got, um, for example, you know they've got higher requirements for energy and, and so on. So. Um, Good quality, low carbohydrate feed. Um, you know, loosen hay is okay. Super fibres are okay. They want to have something to meet nutrient requirements, um, and uh, now is the not time, not the time to deprive them of, of, of trace minerals or antioxidants. Um, so, sort of balance of pellets like um, you know, gold pellet or something like that, or a low starch feed like Calm Performer or low GI cube are all fine. Um, and um, it's uh, if it's related to hindgut disturbances, then you know maybe there's a good time to think about uh, using hindgut buffer equishore, etc. So uh, yeah, there's a number of number of things that you got to do in that initial stages. Okay. All right. So number four, the long-term nutritional management. Well, that, I think that depends uh, on the uh, on the cause of the um, of the so it's hard to make a sort of blanket blanket rule of thumb. Um, one of the things, if you've got rotation uh, of the pedal bone or sinking and you need to stabilise the hoof, then you want to maximise hoof growth. So that's where a bite and sort of zinc and methionine supplement like uh, BioBloom is a good idea. Uh, allows more rapid uh, hoof reshaping. You've obviously got to work with your vet and your farrier to get the hoof back in, in, in good shape. Under the dietary management, if the horse is overweight and that's a factor, then you've got to reduce that uh, factor in insulin dysregulation. You've got to reduce that, that weight. Um, and uh, But also in other circumstances, well, and how you do that, you know, we can explain that in later on. Um, but in other circumstances, it's a matter of, okay, picking feeds that uh, don't necessarily involve weight reduction but might be lower risk because they're lower carbohydrate content and you're getting more energy from fat and fibre. Okay. Now, what can we do about preventing laminitis in the future? Well, I think it comes back to, you know, what the di- make the diagnosis about the predisposing cause and then address those. So if it's uh, PPID or Cushing's disease, then one of the key things is getting the horse on on treatment with pertolide, um, which is uh, aiming to uh, normalise uh, you know, pituitary function. It's a veterinary treatment and it's quite effective. And people can visualise the, um, the horse with PPID as the, as the older horse with the long shaggy coat that doesn't, doesn't shed in summer. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty classical diagnosis, but many horses have had the condition and are predisposed to laminitis even before they have a long shaggy coat. So I don't think they have to have that that long coat to, to have the disorder. Um, so if it's, um, if it's metabolic syndrome, then this combination of, of sort of weight loss, um, 
through dietary restriction, through calorie restriction particularly, and exercise when exercise is possible, which improves insulin regulation and normalizes insulin regulation is a key factor. And um, you can test, uh, the, vet can, the vet can test the insulin levels and then you know, modify the diet accordingly depending uh, on those results and look at um, then further modifications when some weight loss has occurred. I think exercise is really important once the horse can start exercising because you obviously can't do it while their foot is unstable. And even things like swimming have been shown to be particularly useful in uh, normalising insulin levels and reducing the risk of laminitis. So if you have access to a swimming pool and obviously that's not going to be painful on the feet and, uh, or the sea, then, uh, then that's a good thing. Okay, good. Good. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. What does the role of pasture in laminitis? Point number six. How does that play? Well, pasture is obviously a key trigger for laminitis. And I think one of the things here is that the pastures that we have these days are much higher quality, much higher energy, higher protein. They've been sort of developed to maximise productivity in ruminant animals, and they're too good for many horses, particularly ponies that are more used to uh, sort of more sparser, less productive native pastures. So it means horses are, uh, you know, more prone to obesity, and they've also got higher levels of things called fructans, which are these um, carbohydrates in grasses that are not digested. So they're sugars in grasses that aren't digested in the small intestine and they uh, flow through into the large intestine where they're fermented and they produce acid. And uh, hindgut acidosis is one of the starting points for laminitis. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so it means that... Um, you know, high-quality pasture is a real risk factor. There are seasonal variations, so spring and autumn are the times um, of risk, and there are variations in fructan levels throughout the day. And uh, so if you have stress pasture, particularly if you have a cold night and a sunny day, the levels can increase dramatically. So many horses that are prone to laminitis have to have restricted grazing, and grazing muzzles a great deal there. Uh, grazing muzzle means that uh, depending on the type of pasture and how inventive the horse is, you know, you may cut down their grass intake by about 80%, mm-hmm. but they still get some exercise. And their exercise is good, um, but it may mean that horses can ha- only have access to pasture for a short period of time. And even, you know, research has shown that ponies can get about half their daily um, sort of pasture intake in, in four hours and can get uh, you know, massive amounts. They put their heads down and they really eat, eat like like machines. Uh, so it may be that um, you think you know you can't put them out for half a day. You've got to put them out for a, uh, only just a few hours or an hour. And I think a grazing muzzle is the way to go. Okay. okay. In those circumstances. Now, number seven, feeding the overweight horse with laminitis. Okay. Well, what, what we're doing here is we're wanting to supply a balanced diet that's got. Um, uh, a, a, uh, but only supplying a part of the energy needs so the horse loses weight and then we can get improved uh, insulin, regula- insulin regulation because of that. So what we need to do there is feed no, no treats, no grain, no sort of molasses, no often, often no pasture. And um, we're looking at uh, 
circumstances where we're going to feed a lower quality grass hay. We might, ideally, we're going to test that hay for uh, its non-structural carbohydrate, its sugar and starch content. But if we don't test it, well, we're going to soak it and soaking it for um, in a good volume of water for probably at least 60 minutes is required. The more water you have, the less you need to soak for. The hotter the water, the less time you need to soak for. And that can reduce the sugar content and reduce the risk. And we're going to feed that uh, maybe starting at 1.5% of the horse's body weight, maybe a little bit less depending on the circumstances. But we're also going to add uh, things like a salt block. We're going to add a uh, low-calorie, low-intake balancer pellet, like, say, gold pellet example, which is going to supply other nutrients that the horse needs, things like copper, like zinc, like selenium, like vitamin E, vitamin A, etc., important uh, for health and, and repair of tissues. And depending on the severity of the um, of the hoof damage, you're probably feeding, looking at a biotin, zinc and methionine supplement. There are, there are some nutrients that can potentially have an impact on glucose and insulin responses, and you might want to think about those. Um, cinnamon, which seems to work in people, isn't one of those in horses. Magnesium has not been shown to work. Uh, but uh, things like um, psyllium, which uh, people use to get rid of sand, and also uh, fish oil-based uh, supplements have, have all been shown to be useful in terms of um, moderating glucose and insulin responses. What about horses that need to gain weight? A proportion of, of, um, of horses that um, with metabolic syndrome are normal weight um, and still have insulin disturbance, but this is probably more the horse with Cushing's or PPID, so the older horse, their teeth may be not in great shape, so feeding them hay might be a challenge because they can't eat it, in which case what you've got to do, you've got to pick low glycemic feeds for these horses. So these are feeds with a low carbohydrate content uh, and getting a lot of their energy from fat and fibre, um, things like obviously uh, all sorts of hay. You wouldn't feed the overweight horse loosened because they wouldn't, they'd stay overweight for longer, but you can feed these horses loosened. Um, super fibres like um, you know, beet pulp soy hulls are great, and there are a number of feeds that have a low to moderate uh, starch and sugar content, and providing, and you've got to feed them these sort of horses small amounts. So they're going to be fed uh, small meals because that reduces the uh, carbohydrate content. Equitrol, uh, which is a high-fat supplement, we've shown it to be, have a, a glycemic index of 50, which is sort of half that of grain, and that's a really useful supplement uh, for putting weight on these horses and doing it safely. So uh, there's a number of um, energy sources that you can use safely. Number nine, can we talk about performance horses who are prone to laminitis? How common is that? Well, this is sort of, yeah, it's not uncommon. And mm. I think um, here you've got, uh, I'm going to pick on one sector of the horse industry, and that's the show horse sector. And I think show horse, um, show horse judges and the people that you know, organise the protocols for judging got a lot to answer for because show horses are too fat. And fat horses and ponies are prone to laminitis. And show horses are also often not worked very hard at home and then they're taken to a show and they're hammered around on the lunge for hours before so that they'll, you know, they'll be appropriate, uh, behave appropriately in the ring. So uh, you've got that scenario. You've also got a lot of older dressage horses that are competing well into their teens. In fact, they're often and show jumpers and they're, 
they're prone to developing PPID um, and a cause of laminitis. So, yeah, it's, and there's a lot of racehorses with laminitis because the racehorse diet with high grain and low hay is the risk factor for laminitis. So I think there's a lot of laminitis out there. Um, one of the challenges is if you have PPID, you've got this purpolite that's a very effective treatment, but that under FEI rules is not, uh, you have to have a withholding period. So that's a real challenge there. So, um, and the performance horse generally working harder. So uh, you've got um, some, some balancing acts in the, in the management of those. Okay, that's an important thing for people with performance horses that are prone for laminitis. What's the best way to manage them? Well, I think that depends on the individual circumstances. So, sort of, you've got a performance horse, you've got to work it out with um, with your veterinarian, the vet side of the management, with the farrier, um, the, the hoof management, and with a nutritionist. So, um, with somebody who's professionally qualified to work out a diet and look at um, how that sort of diet meets the the energy needs for performance, the body condition needs, and yet is still a safe diet in terms of. Um, energy sources and laminitis. Now, we do that. We've got uh, diet advice service um, and uh, people can contact us uh, about that and there are other, other, other sources of that advice, but okay. professional advice. And anyone with performance horses has got their team of professionals to add to that. Now, number 10, managing hindgut health to aid in the avoidance of laminitis. What's the best way to do that? Yeah, it's an important important area to look after the horse's hindgut because that is uh, hindgut disturbances that lead to acidosis are one of the triggers for laminitis. Mm-hmm. It can either come from um, uh, in dis- disturbances such as colitis, like a sort of massive disturbance in function in uh, in uh, function of the colon. They can come from uh, overloads of lush pasture or uh, overloads of low starch grain. So you've got a few different risk factors there. Um, considerations are, okay, look at reduce the what the risk factor was. So if the risk factor is the uh, overload of, of lush starch gr- pasture, then lush sugar pasture, then you're going to reduce that. Uh, provide enough fibre. So uh, the sort of uh, fibre with lower sugar and starch uh, levels, that's the... the uh, the change in that you might make in um, a horse on a very high grain diet, and there's also a high, some hindgut buffers that normalise uh, hindgut pH. So we have one called Equishore, that's actually a protected form of sodium bicarbonate that lasts through the stomach and the small intestine gets into the large intestine and is there to buffer the acids. So that can protect against this sort of low pH that starts to kill off. Um, large populations of bacteria and uh, disturb the microbiota and can be uh, one of the risk factors with laminitis. So looking after uh, looking after hindgut health as well as looking after gastric health is important. Now, Peter, can we run through these again, the 10 tips of feeding the laminitis-prone horse or pony? Uh, well, uh, that's, that's hard because that's hard because there is not just what... Yeah, it's hard to summarise because there is... Uh, a number of factors in each of these topics. So, um, but my, I, I'll try and okay, I'll try and summarise the overall. Yeah, let's just summarise the overall. Laminitis is a really big topic, and we probably could have done several of them. Um, one would be okay, manage your horse's body condition. 
is number one. Don't let them get fat. Don't let them get fat. Um, number one. Uh, number two, uh, have a good farrier and a good uh, program of, of hoof care so the, the hooves stay in good shape. Uh, number three would be um, be very careful with lush pasture, particularly with uh, you know ponies and certain breeds, pony breeds, um, and um, be careful with uh, overfeeding starchy feeds, uh, overfeeding uh, feeds with a lot of starch in them, because uh, they can, can both of those can contribute to uh, hind gut disturbances. Uh, exercise your horse enough. If you exercise them more, uh, then uh, they're less risk of, of becoming obese. Um, treat laminitis as a as suspicions of laminitis as a veterinary emergency, so get early veterinary advice, and uh, and then look at uh, what the uh, the likely cause is, and therefore what the sort of management is to to prevent it. Um, and I think that would be the um, you know I think they're the sort of summaries. I think people want people to go away with. That's the summary. As usual, very valuable information with laminitis-prone horses and ponies. Now, before you go, I'd like to get your contact details and also the Kerr newsletter. That's Kentucky Equine Research. Can you tell us a bit about that as well? Okay. Yeah, so contact-wise, uh, we've got a 1-800 number, 1-800-772-198, or people can email advice at kr.com. And the other, the other fantastic source of information is equinews.com, uh, which is a website we have that uh, you can use to sign up for a fortnightly uh, electronic newsletter called Equinews, but that has a search function. And if you put laminitis in, I'm sure you get uh, heaps, of, heaps of really good advice and uh, probably written more eloquently uh, than I've spoken about it. Uh, but uh, it's easy to understand, so... Uh, in you know one page sort of deal, so go there if you've got any queries, go there and look at signing up for the newsletter because you you get things that come along each week or each fortnight and they go, oh yes, that was I wouldn't have thought to look that up, but it is interesting to know it, um, and uh, even if it reaffirms the ideas you already have. Brilliant. Again, thanks very much for talking to us today, Peter. Thanks for Kerr for having you available to us and to give us advice on feeding matters and horse nutrition. Talk to you again next time. Okay, good greatness, brother. Thanks a lot. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.